0: So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bauermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Wednesday. How are you, my friend?
1: Man, I'm amazing. That's a great oh, arm. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing Wednesday, and uh, we're talking super projects this week. So we're, we're doing uh, super projects
0: all week. Maybe for Wednesday, we should have made it super amazing projects.
1: Huh? I don't know. I'm just <laughs> uh, it's throwing that all out. pretty amazing, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I, I love the title. By the way, Bill, you did give here uh, airships, worms that eat plastic, and robots that treat us like ants. Okay, well, uh, I like the first two things at least. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that third one no, sounds uh,
1: sounds uh, a little
0: yeah. bit scary, but uh, these are these are all you know. These are all good good images right out of a nice 1930s to 1950s science fiction film. I, I think yeah. uh, you know the, the, they're they're all kind of working for us on that level. And the first one, the, this first story, Google's uh, Sergi Brin said to be working on a zeppelin-like airship. I, I just want to point this out, Stephen, because people talk about the fact that flying cars are always just a few years away, but they never show up that nuclear fusion is always just a few years away, but we never seem to get it. Right. I want to say, since we've been doing this show, and, and even before that, since we've been blogging at The Speculist, how long have we been promised a new approach to airships, right? I mean, isn't it always just been kind of hanging out there in the...
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, and it's just uh, that the, we, we imagine the future is involving these big, huge airships. Well, one thing that uh, I, I'm hopeful that what... Uh, uh, Sergi Brin is doing is, uh, uh, I'm hope he's, I hope he's working on the heavier than air version of airships. Uh, do we, do we, uh, know based on the story here? Uh, I, I it, it seems to me that it's pretty secret what he's doing and, uh, not a lot is known just yet. It's a huge airship. We don't know if it's, uh, in the shape of a giant wing or not, uh, which is what you do with a heavier than air type Zeppelin. It's, uh, kind of an interesting concept. You, you, uh, you don't have to have a ground crew. You land it much like an aircraft, but in a very short space, um, because it's uh, shaped like a wing to some extent. And uh, right, uh, if so you if
0: you if you go to the linked story, what's shown there is one of these hybrid vehicles, right? one of the, right, <laughs> right, me, right. One of these hybrid right. aircraft. It's almost yeah, it's lighter than, than, than air, but not lighter than air. So it's working on the same aeronautical <laughs> principles as an airplane. But the fact that you've got all that lighter than air gas making up the structure of the thing just makes the whole thing, easy to do, and gives you this tremendous lift power, and it gives you this really interesting kind of aircraft that nothing like that has existed
1: before. That's what we're looking at when we look at that uh, picture. You could fly a cargo load, a huge cargo load of humanitarian aid and land it in a field in Africa. I mean, that's something that you couldn't do with... uh, you know, uh, without a ground crew, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't do that with a regular heavier-than-aircraft. You could, sure couldn't do that with an airplane, and uh, helicopters aren't that big. So this is you know, these heavier-than-air aircraft are amazing. One hopes that's what he's working on, but that picture is not necessarily uh, uh, representative at all of what what Sergey is doing. So uh, yeah,
0: yeah, in I'm fact, actually, I'm going to say it's cool if he's working on that, or if he's doing something completely new in this space. That's yeah. cool too. Um, if, if he's developing the personal Zeppelin, <laughs> then I'm okay with that too, right? You know, the this, yeah. this self-driving. Uh, I, I, I always kind of look at the, the Zeppelin future as one where instead of getting an RV, you get your own airship, right? I, that, that's, that, that, that's one of my favorite kind of fantasy scenarios for the future. And if Sergey Brin is working on that, kind of the uh, Zeppelin as a consumer product, Uh, Where we can, where where we can all have our own, Um, that's awesome. Because somebody's already working, you know, the the kind of uh, hybrid approach that would make for the yeah, that's that's being worked on. That's been worked on. Yeah, somebody's working on that, right? cargo transport. So good. Let's have those. I I think. I guess what I'm saying is, there's room in this world for a lot of different kinds of airships, Um, and and I'm very open-minded.
1: i'm i'm reminded also of the dark sky station uh, what what group is working on that uh it's um uh is it is it Zeppelin airspace or something like that Anyway, they uh it's, it's the idea there is to have like a station in the upper stratosphere right that's uh mm-hmm. it's it's uh you know you're you're high enough that the sky is always dark and uh you're above the weather, and you're, you can be pretty much stationary above the uh, above the planet. And you could, you could do, it could be a communications platform, things like that. What if what he's working on was his idea? Here is uh, to have like a transport vehicle that you go back and forth from ground to something high like that. You know, that would that. be cool too. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, I mean,
0: that's that's the great thing. You know what? There's almost nothing you can do with an airship that isn't pretty
1: cool. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it could, hey, it, it could be it could be like a cruise liner in the sky and that would be right. pretty cool. That would be cool so, too. Okay. Yeah,
0: exactly. That would, it would all be cool. I mean, what do we actually know? We know that Sergey uh, that Sergey Brin is working on something that uh, he's he's uh, using the Ames facility that NASA has pretty much on loan for uh, for Google cuz they like to they like to do interesting things. It is apparently a personal project. Um, or, or that is to say it 's something that isn 't actually a google project it 's just his project, and right. it apparently has something to do with airships that 's all we know right The rest is just speculation we can We, we can decide it would be cool if it 's this or we 'd like it if if it was that but i just I just want to say because we were kind of hard on Google on Monday talking about the yeah. anti aging project. I look at this one and i go it 's just fine that it 's completely secretive and and we 're <laughs> left right to guess I, you know the if he wants to drop a few well, hints and get us going and down wild, the, you know, rabbit hole, goose chase types. Sorry for the mixed metaphor there. But if he wants to mislead us even on this before he announces something, that's fine too. Um, <laughs> you, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with airships. It's just it's yeah, too much Yeah,
1: it's 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 fun. Um, wasn't it Google that was working on uh, like a high altitude, uh, like a Wi-Fi uh, network uh, that that operates from. Yeah, you know, we did a show about that a while back. Amazon's working on that. Yeah.
0: Google's working on that. There's several different competing models for that uh, being uh, rather than
1: potentially deployed over the next few years. Uh, telecommunication satellites, right? Rather than using something like that, you just get something that's up way high and uh, and that you, you, know, you can kind of park there, you know, by way of uh, maybe uh, lighter than aircraft. Are, um, you know, I think Facebook was working on that. Um, that uh, you know, a, a thing that was—it was a solar-powered aircraft that flies very, very high and just parks up there. Uh, they got to, it gets enough sun in the daytime to keep it going at night, so it can stay at one altitude and serve as a, a communications platform. Uh, and maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's, it has something to do with uh, one of those side projects like that. But it, it, like you say, it, there's not a lot that it couldn't be that that, that is not cool and uh, would be fun to uh, to announce uh, when we do hear about it. So that's pretty great. Yeah, whatever he's doing with
0: airships, I count it as a super project. Okay, so keep at it, Sergi, and you know we hope to hear back from you on that eventually. Okay, next next super project story, or just wacky headline, however you want to look at it. Uh, this, this was so much fun because I posted this one on Facebook after I read it, and our old buddy Michael Darling comes back and he leaves a two-word comment. Did, did, I don't know if you saw that by any chance, but the two I words not, scared I me to death. The two words were fake news, and I'm like, "Oh no, I've fallen for it again." Um, I, you know, I've been led down the, the primrose path, and you can easily believe that this would be fake, because the headline is, "Scientists have discovered a worm that eats plastic bags and leaves behind antifreeze." and you read that, and you go, "Oh my yeah, that's insane. How could I have believed this?" And I checked back on Google and I went to Snopes, and no, this is a real story, OK? Michael was just messing with me. So you've got a caterpillar. It's called the wax worm. Um, it's good fishing bait for you know in some regions for some kinds of uh, fishing. Um, eats plastic bags. It eats plastic bags and it excretes what is it? Uh, glycol ethylene, um, uh, ethylene glycol. Basically the the core ingredient of antifreeze. Which I don't know you know what the environmental implications of that
1: stuff. Is or yeah, what? yeah. That that was my next question. I mean, yeah, we got a plastic problem uh, that's environmentally bad. But uh, if we somehow use the processes that are going on in this this caterpillar to with uh, a bunch of antifreeze in the environment, be a bad thing. I, I'm guessing so, uh, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's it's something we can do to, uh, you know, maybe we, we could use it to recycle plastic uh, to have antifreeze for our cars or whatever. Uh, you know, the main thing is not to. To let something like that just sit in a, in a landfill, right? We could if we well, could do something yeah, with that you know, stuff.
0: Yeah, landfills are
1: landfills good. are one issue. I think the
0: real the, the real issue we got with plastic in the environment right now is out in the oceans, right? It's right, just, right. It's piling up out there, and you think, well, what are we ever going to do with all this plastic? Wouldn't it be great if you could corral all that plastic someplace and then just you know mutate a bunch of these. Worms and let them go at it, right Now there's a super project, right? We're going to feed all the plastic right. in the oceans to these worms. But yeah, the the drawback to that, the drawback to that plan is you're you're then swapping an ocean that's polluted with plastic to one that's polluted with antifreeze. And I don't know how big of an issue that would be, if it, you know, um, if that would poison the oceans or, or or what what kinds of impact that would have. But off the bat, it sounds like that wouldn't be. Ideal, right? You, what you want is then you want another organism to come in and eat the antifreeze and turn it into something completely benign, right? Something that, or
1: uh... <laughs> <Right. laughs> right. you know, turn it into something on Earth that just you know goes to the ocean floor and just sits there. You know, it'd be nice if we could turn it into sand. You know, but um, uh, well, that's uh, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, you know, we we definitely have a plastic problem. They have a plastic problem. And that well, doesn't we do, seem be a while. We have a hunger for products that are made of plastic.
0: And what, what I really love about this story is for years we've had this idea that eventually one day nanotechnology or biotechnology solves the, the trash problem. It solves the pollution problem. And in particular it solves the plastic problem by creating some organic you know, device or organism – that will go in and eat it. That will eat it and turn it into something useful. And this is big because here it is, right? I mean, here's a thing that actually eats plastic <laughs> and and can can digest it. It's not the ideal solution necessarily because, you know, for so many reasons, not the least of which is we don't know what we want to do with all that all that antifreeze. What you know, ideally, what you have is is um, that ethylene glycol can be turned into fuel, right? That that would yeah, be the perfect yeah, that's
1: thing. You would- that, that, there you go. The, you know, turn turn the plastic in, into into some liquid fuel that can be used to power our vehicles or something, and then yeah, that,
0: well, that can be used to power the big robot boat that's going around spreading the worms and collecting the plastic. The plastic. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah great. that's what you want in the oceans, and then eventually, yeah, you want uh, you, you want a mutated version of this thing that can burrow down into the landfills and just eat the plastic, right, and turn it into that's something right. useful and no one has to tell me all the fantastic end of the world scenarios that derive from that. You know, I mean, those, <laughs> are, those are, fake news or whatever. Yeah, yeah finish eating the uh, landfills and they turn back on us, right? And suddenly they've mutated and they're huge and ah, it's a pretty scary. Uh, you know, pr- pretty scary scenario. But it, it's it, to, to me this is this is big just because you've really turned a corner here when. When you've got something that will digest plastic, that principle alone, that piece of it is big. And if you can just isolate that piece of it, and maybe you don't use a caterpillar, um, but you just replicate the chemical process that's going on there. The, 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 The point is, this is a solution to plastic that is potentially something that can be scaled up and that potentially could could address the problem and that's extremely encouraging because you know what you don't hear a lot of that i hear a lot of people worrying about what we're going to do about all the plastic but i don't hear a lot of solutions and here at least is the kernel of a solution and kind of like uh, some of the other things we've talked about the time machine in particular you could build a super project around this and i and i hope that we start to hear about some you know something that uh, that might be done
1: it's awesome that is awesome well, this this one's pretty great. Um, well, it's it's pretty great in the sense that uh, oh well, I, let me just read it. Uh, uh, Schermerberger <laughs> on the robot future. They will pay as much attention to us as we do to ants. Okay, so um, this is uh, you know we we've said this week we're not going to talk a lot of Musk. Um, we're not going to talk about in one of his projects, but his concern with AI has always been that. Uh, you know, we're summoning the demon, right? That it's uh, something that uh, uh, it could do us in. Um, well, this, you know, this guy's saying that uh, on on robots, uh, they 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 won't care about us. Uh, and sometimes that's you know that might be benign neglect, uh, but it might it might not be some benign. I'm not. not well, benign. you know, it, there, there's very much a good news, bad news to this headline, right? I mean, yeah.
0: If you're worried that the the AI is going to come along, that the the robot future is one where the the Terminator, where they're going to, you know, Battlestar Galactica or something like that, they're going to come along and just destroy us because they hate us and they want us out of the picture, you know, think of your relationship to ants, right? By and large, you're not thinking about ants most of the time, and you don't care, right? There's billions, trillions of ants in the world. This article quotes one thing that says, I didn't realize this, that the weight of ants in the world is probably roughly equivalent to the weight of human beings. Right, if you put all the ants on one side of a really huge scale and all the humans on the other side, it would be about the same, yeah. which, you yeah, know, that's, yeah. that's impressive I'm when you consider spru- how many. I'm not all that
1: surprised, yeah.
0: That, that we just passed 7.5 billion humans, right? So we're talking about a lot of ants in the world. A lot of ants in the world, and by and large, we don't care, right? Yeah. They don't bother. If they don't bother me, I don't bother them but if they bother me this is where it gets a little bit scary right if if we are to ants as a, you know i've got ants in my garage i step on them i spray them you know it's like um <laughs> i i can be a pretty effective ant eliminator when i need to be right if if that's something <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that that i have to do so Paying as much attention to us as we do to ants is like yeah usually I don't pay any attention to ants at all so I'm no threat to ants but when I do pay attention to them it's not good right it's almost never um, it's almost never a good thing this guy uh, Jürgen uh, Schmidhuber is a very interesting figure in artificial intelligence uh, it, it's it's worth it's worth mentioning that he is probably a you know a, a a sort of a founder of all the machine learning stuff that's going on now he was working on some of the things that have become big over the last 5 years within uh, with within google and amazon and some of these other areas you know some, some of this really big breakthrough technology that's being developed around deep learning he had a team working on stuff like that 20 years ago right Back in the, this kind of long winter of neural networks and artificial intelligence, he had a team that was developing principles that are just now really being applied by by Google and others. In fact, there's a reference in here to how in 2015, Google announced that it had managed to improve the error rate of its voice recognition software by almost 50% using his techniques, something he had developed back in the 90s, right? And, yeah. and they're just now kind of catching up and saying, hey, this is huge, right, what this What this stuff can allow so this is a guy you want to listen to when he talks about when he talks about the ai future uh he has been right in the past and he's been 20 years ahead of google in the past so you know that's that is that's not a bad position to be um to be speaking from and generally he's giving us a very bright picture of the future you know he very kurzweil-esque picture of how things are going to going to come down he says artificial intelligence is going to surpass humans in 2050 we're going to have robots that will have fun fall in love colonize the galaxy he doesn't talk in terms of us joining up with them that's kind of the the piece of the kurzweil vision that's missing from from what i see from him in that article but he doesn't preclude it either he doesn't say any you know you know there's there's no reason to think that we couldn't go in that direction rather than being ants you know to the ais maybe we could be you know part of Part of what they do, um, he, he doesn't. Um, he doesn't say that that uh, that that can happen. So generally, it's this very optimistic view of where the you know the the AI future is going to take us, where the robot future is going to take us. Um, with that one caveat that they're going to get so far ahead of us that we just we just won't matter to them. And, and I guess on the spectrum, right? Yeah, that's, between that's a
1: better future than some, right? I mean, it's better yeah. than Terminator. It's better than gray goo, right? Yeah. Um, it's you know there's they're out doing these awesome things in the galaxy. We just don't get to be a part of it. That's and that's you know that's sad, but it's on the spectrum of possible futures. It's not the worst. Um. You know, and you can always uh, you can always join back up with them or something if uh, if mankind advances to the point they could. At any anyway, rate, that's uh, it's that's interesting thoughts. Uh. I, it's a little dark, but, uh, you know, like you said, not the worst.
0: Well, when he talks about, I I thought this was pretty interesting, when he he talks about people poisoning ant colonies and, you know, stomping on ants and that kind of thing, he says, yeah, yeah, of course that happens, but it only applies to a minute percentage of the global ant population. (laughs) And no one seems to have the desire to wipe out all ants. On the contrary most of us are pleased when we hear there are still more ants on the planet than humans and most of them are in the Brazilian jungle or wherever so you know it's long, as long as we don't bug them um, you know they won't bother us I, that, that is as as positive i guess a view of uh, the relationship with ants as, you're, as as you're going to get but he talks about other issues too one of which is the you know the robots are stealing our jobs and i think what he says about this is very interesting he talks about the fact, he refers to us as homo Ludens, right? So uh, the, I, I assume that's, you know, some some kind of takeoff on, on Luddite. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but it's humanity is seen from the standpoint of um, not responding well to technology or maybe actually responding very well to technology. Anyway, he says, we've always had a talent for inventing jobs of the non-existential kind. The vast majority of the population is already doing luxury jobs like yours and mine. And here he is this AI researcher talking to this newspaper reporter who's, who's interviewing him, right? Or this, right. Right. And he points out that neither one of them does a job that feeds anybody, right? Or that is, that that is required for human existence. So he says, it's easy to predict which kinds of jobs will disappear, but it's difficult to predict which new jobs will be created. Who would have thought in the 1980s that 30 years later, there would be people making millions as professional video gamers or YouTube stars. These are pretty good points. That um, yeah. you know, you know, technology has enabled us to create. I, I like this phrase, "luxury jobs." That's a better phrase than I've used in the past, which is "BS jobs,"
1: right? Which is, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like luxury jobs better. Luxury I, sounds better. I, I suspect so, we'll all be uh, working in luxury jobs. Uh, you know, if, if not already, I, we
0: and we kind of are already. But uh, yeah, and and the technology enables that. If yeah, t- technology has enabled us to work at jobs that are non-essential to human existence. That, that that's just you know technology and the economic development that technology enables enables that. And when you look at the kind of technological leap he's describing here, then yeah, there's no reason why we can't have a future. This when I read his thoughts on this, this makes me more hopeful that we can have a future where everybody's employed than I've been in quite some time. That that hasn't been an idea that I've really been 100% sure about or even very hopeful about for for quite some time. But but that argument, I think, is fairly persuasive, that that, the the, the technology itself can enable this post-scarcity kind of driven economy to to push us to a place where where we can all be working. We can all be working at jobs that maybe even today, right now, Sounds silly and frivolous, and five years from now won't, or ten years from now won't. Certainly by 2050, won't sound that way at all, um, because it'll be serious business. So uh, that that is pretty encouraging. I, you know, I think that itself could be a a super project in its own right, and one we've we've talked about before is just kind of getting the roadmap down to how we get to how we get to that kind of an economy. Uh, it would be great to see somebody like uh, Schmidt who were working on it. We, we should, I don't know, reach out to him and tell him, you know what, you're a smart guy, you should really solve this employment problem. for
1: the <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, here's the thing, even in a world where, you know, we're all getting getting checks, right, I mean, it's, uh, the, the, our our uh, GNP of our country is ten times what it was before, but nobody's working, everything's automated, even in that world where we're just, you know, go to our mailbox and get a check every month and, you know, I mean, you still want to do something with yourself, right? I mean, you still want to have have you know a reason to get up in the morning, something to work on. Um, and so yeah, we got you know, <laughs> luxury job. Uh, you know, sounds a whole lot better than than sitting back there and doing nothing. I, it it's important. You got to have something. Well,
0: good. I just I think it's viable. I mean, it, it creates kind of you know a viable environment, not just from the standpoint of what your life feels like to you, but just in terms of, it seems like up to this point, you know, our economy has always worked on these kind of interdependencies between what people do, and it feels like you need that going forward. What I like about this idea is, you know, with our discussion with Brian Wong last, or week before last, we were talking about there are all these ideas for how you can potentially address poverty. And our favorite one comes from Brian himself, which is that you don't provide basic income, you provide basic power. You put enough infrastructure in place so that people can do what they want to do. Right? You, you enable people to, to do things that they want to do, and that allows them to come up with creative solutions for taking care of themselves. And this is the same idea applied to the developed world. Right? It, it's, it's interesting that, that, you, that you have the same challenge in both places in the developing world, where you really do want just to be able to feed people and clothe and house them and you know get them to this basic level of existence, the answer is maybe give them the right infrastructure and they can solve the problem. Yeah. Maybe the exact same yeah. thing applies to us, right? Maybe that's always the right answer, right? Is, is you give you give people the right you give people the right infrastructure and, and they can and they can solve the problem. I like I like the thinking here. I like uh, Huber's thinking here, which is that uh, that's kind of what we're doing. Without even realizing, it, is we're creating that infrastructure that will that will enable that to happen. I hope he's right. I hope he's right about that. I don't know about the ant thing. I don't know if I'm, you know, completely persuaded that I want him to be right about that. But I but I, do, I definitely want him to be right about the the robot future and also the uh, you know colonizing
1: the the galaxy. Those are those are good ideas. I, I, thought, you know? I here's here's a quote I thought was interesting uh, the, about AI. The central al- algorithm for intelligence is cr- incredibly short that algorithm allows, uh, that allows systems to self-improve is perhaps 10 lines of, I don't know why he calls it pseudocode, but 10 mm-hmm. lines of pseudocode. What we are missing at the moment is perhaps just another five lines. That's interesting. So,
0: <laughs> that is very interesting. I, I guess it's 10 lines of pseudocode because maybe you can you can write it out in pseudocode and it's, uh, you say, uh, you know, a thing that does this, a thing that does this, a thing that does this, but maybe the actual code would be a few hundred lines of code,
1: right? So I got so you. Kind of, I, I, I follow now. Okay. Yeah. So the, he, the the concept is 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 fairly simple uh, when you put it put it down in pseudo code, right? And uh, yeah. all we need is just a few more lines. Okay,
0: that's interesting. And, and and you know that's interesting because that that actually meshes pretty well with something that one of the participants participants in that panel discussion on AI that we talked about a few weeks ago was saying, was that basically the, you know, the big breakthrough technology has been just kind of a few lines of code on top of a statistical program, and then suddenly you're able to do all this deep learning and machine learning. So I, I think you know there's there's definitely something there that there's a few simple principles that can be applied, and you've got a and you've got a big breakthrough in uh, in technology. So exciting stuff coming, and, and as long as we don't get stomped on, as long as we're not the ants that get, you know, the Raid Max. Um. <laughs> that's right.
1: You've got to build those uh, laws of robotics in deep, man. You've just got to build them in deep. Um. Yes. <laughs> as,
0: Asimov never even mentioned bug spray or being stomped on or any of that stuff. Uh, that's right.
1: Like,
0: <laughs> you know, All right. maybe needed to get more great. specific. Another great show, Phil. This, this hey, fun, fun stuff. And guess what? we got uh, more super projects to talk about on Friday, plus other geek. So you're not going to want to miss that. Thanks, Stephen. It's been great talking with you. It's been great being with you all. And we will be back with a brand new show on Friday. Until next time, live to see it.